Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. Because it was preparation day, and bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Now, again, you say, well, what's that all about? Well, when, when a person is crucified, they have to push up to open up their lung cavity so they can breathe. By breaking their legs, they suffocate quickly. And they say, well, we don't want anybody hanging on the cross uh, out on preparation day. So we want them taken down. They ask if they would break their legs so that they could be taken down. They would be dead and they could be buried. What's wrong with that? Well, a couple of things. You know, the Pharisees were people who studied the book, but didn't know the author. Pretty important. And when you stop to think about in Psalms 34:20, it says not one bone of Jesus's body would be broken. I believe the Pharisees knew that that was a prophecy concerning Messiah. And that's why they asked to have the bones broken, not just necessarily because of, 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 of the Sabbath but because they wanted to violate what the word of God said, the prophecies who Jesus is. You look at all the prophecies in the Old Testament, what Messiah would be when he would come. Only Jesus could fulfill that. Only Jesus. And so when you look at this, you realize that they were requesting the legs to be broken. Do you think they really cared about those thieves that were hanged on either side of Jesus? By the way, the Bible doesn't say they were murderers. It says they were thieves. Under the Roman government in those days, if you were a thief, you could be crucified. You could have capital punishment. Now, today we find people that do all kinds of heinous crimes. And in fact, just in a few years, they're out back on the streets again. But in the Roman days, just being a thief would get you killed. So you think about that for a minute, how intense it was back then, how their laws was talk about a deterrent to crime. Yeah, that would do it. Honey, don't steal that. You'll be ending up dead. Boy, I'll tell you, if I was a little kid and I saw, mommy, why is that man up on the cross? Well, he stole. Oh, I better take this candy bar back. You know, I mean, I don't want to be involved in that. Well, as you look at this, they came and they wanted G, the, 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 those crucified legs broken. But the Bible goes on and tells us here. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Isn't that something? It fulfills scripture. I believe really what motivated the the Pharisees to request the legs to be broken was that Jesus then could not be the Paschal lamb to take away the sins of the world. Now, why that is important is because we also find in the book of Exodus um, uh, 1246 that you could not bring a lamb that was lame or had a broken leg as a sacrifice to God for your sins. 
And they knew that. So not only did they have the prophecy from from the book of Psalms, but they also had it from the book of Exodus that the lamb had to be without spot or wrinkle. It had to be not broken bones in any way. And yet that's the very things the Pharisees wanted to happen to Jesus. Why? Because that would have violated who Jesus was in being our Paschal lamb to take away our sins. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Some people say that this is caused by an enlarged heart. And some people say that Jesus probably died more of a broken heart than anything else. Because when the heart is broken, the bag of water around the heart, that's kind of that cushion thing, ruptures. And so when the, when, when the spear went into the side of Jesus, it proved that he was dead. Now something interesting If you go back to the book of Genesis, God caused a sleep to come upon Adam and from his side came his what? Bride. Isn't it interesting that the piercing in Jesus' side caused Jesus to have us as his bride? Jesus died on the cross. From his side, from his death, came his bride. Well, this is the way God works. And when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They didn't break his leg. But one of the soldiers pierced his side. And he who had seen and testified, his testimony is true. John is speaking of himself here. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And another scripture says, and they look upon him whom they have pierced. In fact, the Bible says they will mourn for him as an only son when they see him whom they have pierced. You see, their eyes are veiled. The Bible says the Jewish eyes are veiled. What? People have always asked the question, what kind of a God is it that hardens somebody's heart and then punish them for it? I, I, I get this question on every man and answer occasionally. And uh, you say, well, where's that at? Well, uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I always think about that. And, and um, the Bible also tells us that the Pharisees' hearts were hardened as well. The more miracles that Jesus did, the harder the Pharisees' heart got. In fact, we remember that when Jesus healed the guy by the pool of Siloam, that's when they really ramped up their hatred for Jesus where they wanted to kill him. Now think about that for a minute. The more good you do, the more they want to kill him. Now, some people say, well, you know, if Uncle Fred could just see a miracle, my, he, he'd accept the Lord. Not necessarily. The more miracles that Pharaoh saw, the harder his heart got. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Yes. How'd he do it? Showed him miracles. Two things. One, there's a God. Pharaoh, two, you're not him. More miracles he did, the harder his heart got. So what was the bottom line then? Does God harden people's heart? Well, yeah, but how did he harden his heart? He showed him miracles. How did Jesus harden the Pharisees' heart? He did miracles. And this caused the problems. Well, understanding that, again, the viewer of a miracle may say, wow, God, that's cool. you got to be God. On the other hand, people say, well, I can't do that. I'm jealous of what you're doing. And so, therefore, the only way to do, get rid of my my bother in my heart is to kill you. And that's what they did. So early tried. 
And so it says, they look on him who they have pierced. Again, what causes the veil? Pride. You know, it's funny. The Bible says pride is at the root of every sin. So if you ever want to think about pride in a different way, think about it as the root of every sin that we commit. Why is that? Because in our pride, we say, well, God, I know what you say, but I can, I can beat it. I can beat the rap on this. Uh, this is why the Pharisees had the problems with Jesus. If you ever notice, they'll tell you why their heart was hard. Our father Abraham. They would always go back to their heritage rather than who they were at that moment. And it's funny what people will justify themselves by. You go up and do some witnessing. Just go up and talk to people. I do it a lot. Hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm born in America. Um, Are you a Christian? Well, my money says in God we trust. All of this pay cash. Are you a Christian? Well, yeah, I, I went, I was baptized when I was a baby. I've listened to so many different ideas of what a Christian is. But you'll find that they don't serve God. They don't really want to have anything to do with God. But because I was born in America, my money says in God we trust. I was baptized as a baby. I was christened when I was eight years old. And the list goes on and on. But never where you're at right now with God. Pride will always blind people to the reality of who we are. That's why we need to be very careful in looking at what makes you and me what we are. What we are is not what I did in the past. What we are is what we do in right now in Jesus. And a lot of times people want to hang their hat on the successes of the past. I remember one time my mom was sharing with someone, one of her girlfriends. And she said, well, you need to get right with Jesus. And I remember that she said, it was, it was a funny conversation. I was in the backseat of the car and listening to this whole thing go on. And, and she said, you need to get right with Jesus. And, and she said, well, just because I go to church doesn't mean or, or, or talk about Jesus as they did. She said, look at all the years I went to church, she told my mom. Look at all the years I went to church that you didn't. Ooh, that time card. Hey, look, I'm all right, okay? It isn't what we did in the past. It's what we're doing today. Now, yeah, we're Christian. I mean, we accepted the Lord years ago, and we know we're all on this walk of faith, and sometimes we stumble and skin our knees, but we get up again and keep going. And again, don't waller in the past. Don't waller in your failures. Just get up and keep going in the Lord. You know, you're going to come in contact every day with people who need that love from God just has got you back up off the ground. They need to be lifted back up too. I, I, that's what I love about God. That's what I love about the family of God is that we don't sit there around and say, oh, look, they fell down. Hey, everybody, they fell down. No, I don't want anybody. Hey, they had some hard times. I had somebody come to me one time. True story. Pastor Mike's been talking about you. Really, what did he say? Well, Pastor Mike said, you've got a lot of problems. Thank God this girl had the fortitude to come and ask me. She said, Mike, this person said this about you that you said about me. And she said, did you say that? And I thought, why would I say such a mean thing? 
I went, oh. That same person that went to that girl and said that was one that came to me pointing out all her failures. Do you know what she did? And you know what she did? And she know what she did? And you know what she did? And she And I said, look, she's got some problems in her life right now. She needs your prayers. She needs your love, not your criticism. So that girl goes and says, Pastor Mike said, you've got a lot of problems. So did I say that? Well, sort of. But it was so far out of context, it didn't even remotely resemble what I was trying to communicate. The person that was spreading that was a gossip. And I said, she needs your prayers, not your criticism. But isn't it amazing how people will do that? So I think once again, the Bible talks about love covering a multitude of sins. As a family, we watch out for one another. We don't exploit one another's shortcomings because if that was the case, nothing would ever be done for the kingdom of God. Now, I think it's pretty amazing that of all the people in the world at that time, Jesus had 12 disciples. And out of that 12, we remember last week as we studied, Judas Iscariot betrayed the whereabouts of Jesus to the Pharisees for 30 pieces of silver. Isn't that amazing? That out of ratio of 12, one was a traitor. Now, that was Jesus. Where do you think that leaves you and me? One and two, (laughs) you know, I don't know. But the thing is, I realize that take the body of Christ very seriously, our friendship that we have in the body of Christ very seriously, because that's what makes us what we are in Christ Jesus, that he forgave us and he gave us a family. And from his side, we're his bride. Then it says in verse 38, Then Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who was the first to come to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. By the way, remember myrrh. Remember the three wise men when Jesus was born? And when Jesus was a small child, they came and they gave him three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, which you give a king. Frankincense, which you give to a priest. And myrrh is what you give to somebody that's going to die. In those three gifts explained the whole ministry of who Jesus Christ was when those wise men came. About a hundred pounds. And they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen, spices, as custom of the Jews to bury. Now the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new tomb, which no one yet had been laid. And so there Jesus, because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb, was nearby. It is interesting that the the Roman government took where this garden was and made a place of execution, probably no doubt diminishing the value of the tomb. But the thing is, Joseph came and said, let me have the body. I'll put him in, in the tomb. Now, Jesus only needed it for a couple of nights. He moved out rather rapidly. And we remember that Jesus, as he was placed in the tomb, they rolled the stone in front 
And we remember in the other gospels, they said, well, hey, listen, if we don't, if you don't station some guards, they're going to come steal a body and say that he rose because he said that he would raise from the dead. The Pharisees were very much aware of the claims who Jesus was and what the Old Testament said Messiah would be like. And so they sealed the tomb with the stone, placed two Roman guards by it. And we remember, should have known you couldn't keep a good man down. The stone was rolled away. We're going to talk more about that next Sunday. The only known cure for death. You know, when you drive by the cemeteries and you see all those headstones out there, the memorial parks where all those little placards are. And you know, I'm still, and I've shared this many times, but I'm still, still taken back by those things that are on the, the tombstones. Sometimes they have funny sayings. One time I saw one that says, here lies Zachariah Pease in the shade under the trees. Pease isn't here, only his pod. Pease shelled out and went home to God. Well, I look at that and usually it's just a name, a birth date and a death date and a little line in between. That little line is our life. We think about what am I doing with my life? Think about this morning what you're doing with your life. And if you're distant from God, I, first of all, I want to I just share with you the importance of being right with God. Because if, if Jesus doesn't take away your sins, you die in your sins. And your sins will send you to a place of torment, eternally separated from God. This is why Jesus gave up all the worship. You know, people, there's religions out there today that say, well, hell isn't a real place. It's just a fig newton of your imperial margarine. It's only a a figment of your imagination. No, that isn't what the Bible says. In fact, Jesus spoke 11 times about hell in the Gospels. So it's important. It's a real place. The second thing is, they'll say, well, Hell is just simply annihilation. The Jehovah's Witnesses, several other groups out there believe that. That is also not in the Bible. In fact, the Bible says where the flame is never quenched and the worm is never full. I mean, it's an ongoing nasty place. Don't want to go there. And you say, well, come on. I mean, really? Well, let me ask you a question. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So why would Jesus give up all the worship of the angels, give up all the splendor and the comforts of heaven to come down, be born in a dirty manger, live a sinless life, and then at the very last of his life, offered sour wine after being crucified well, if they just don't make it, well, they're just, they're just annihilated. It doesn't matter anyway. No, I don't think so. Whatever Jesus knows about eternity knows it is so bad that he gave up all the worship of heaven to be a sacrifice for that we would never have to go to that place. I like that. It tells me a lot about what hell is. Hell is a place we were never designed to go. You know, hell was really built for those fallen angels that rejected their first estate. But if we as human beings want to enter into that same rebellion, we get the same judgment. So God then provides a sacrifice to take away our sins. You know, 
that garment that we talked about earlier, it was one piece woven, the one that they cast lots for. But I got to thinking about that. The Bible says we're clothed in his righteousness. I think about the clothes that Jesus wore, one piece. No beginning. No, yeah, see, see, this is the beginning here. It goes around, and this is the end, and then you put the buttons down the middle, and that makes it go together. But Jesus' garment was one piece. There was no beginning, no end. We're found in his righteousness, and you're complete in him. I like that. Tells me a lot about the completeness of God. God doesn't leave any part of us untouched. Now, we might want him sometimes not to touch certain places in our life. You know, it's the old saying, Jesus knocks on our door. Revelation chapter 3. Jesus comes in. Starts going through our house. Says, we ought to clean out this room. Okay, Jesus, you know, he backs up his Holy Ghost dump truck and starts pitching junk into the truck. Jesus goes, this isn't even good for a yard sale. No, I mean, just pitches it in the truck. Hauls it off. Goes to the next room, cleans out. You know how God does. If he cleaned us all out at once, he'd kill us. So it's a progressive thing God does. I remember when my dad got saved, my mom got saved same day. My mom, lightning bolt experience. Excuse me, my dad, lightning bolt experience. Smoked, drank, cussed, chew. I mean, did everything. New person. Just like that. Just all things passed away. All things became new. My mom, on the other hand, it was a progressive thing. I remember my mom distinctly telling one of her girlfriends, she said, well, when I first got saved, I didn't have a lightning bolt experience, but I did notice I wasn't using God in my cuss words anymore. Good mom. Good. And as it went on, her swearing went away as well. What I'm saying is that God cleans us out. But then God goes down the hallway and says, now what's behind? Oh, don't, don't open that one. Ah, that's where I keep my special sins. God goes, ah. No, don't open it. God goes, it's got to go too. But you know when God takes something out, he puts something else in. And that's the good news of the gospel. God will never, listen, if you don't get anything else out of this today, God will never take anything out of your life that he won't put more back in your life because he loves you. Remember that. God is a God who gives. He's not a God on the take. Come on, more. More. Remember, he turned the table of the money changers over on that Palm Sunday in the temple. The very first place Jesus went when he descended from the Mount of Olives and he went into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he went into the temple and the Bible says he cleansed the temple. You know, when you invite Jesus into your life, the very first place he goes is into your heart and he cleanses the temple. Thank God for that. You know, it isn't some kind of a self-realization, sitting in the middle of my living room, doing a, focusing on the third eye in the middle of my forehead. God just immediately cleans it out. That's good. Let God do that for you today. If you're not a Christian, you need to be. Jesus died on the cross, but if you don't accept what he did for you, then it's a meaningless experience. So if you need to get right with God, let's pray right now. And let's let God do what he wants to do in your life. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. I tried to define life my way. And I'm not happy. And so I ask you now to forgive me.
I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And he took away my sins. And so now I commit my life into your hands. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to be the person you want me to be. And I lay all of my desires at the foot of the cross. You make me what you want me to be. I'll put my trust and hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on It's Time. As Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.